You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. And I have some very weird news for you. Okay, go ahead. So I ended up fostering a dog that I got from the shelter last Thursday. Yeah, they, that like white, that light colored. Yep. Yeah. Little white fluff ball who I, who they picked up from Tuba City from the Native American Reservation. Yeah. As a stray. She's completely feral, never been around people. Like very, very skittish. Oh, wow. So, so far she's been nothing but sweet and shy. No signs of aggression. I've only heard her growl a couple of times when she got scared, but never seen her snap. Like Mm -hmm. she's been, she's met cats and been fine with the cats. She wants to play with the cats. She's Mm -hmm. been fine with the dogs. She's been sweet with me. She just doesn't want to be touched yet. But today for the first time, she actually came up and smelled my hand and smelled my foot and smelled my leg and like showed signs of coming around and then when I leave her she whines so she's getting attached to me which is very cute okay so it's not like you have some like meat eater I mean uh, not human flesh eater as, as far Jeffrey as Dahmer didn't move in your house is what I'm saying <laughs> oh, wait, I gotta talk about that too <laughs> I think that's a perfect segue <laughs> what do you have to talk about remember we talked about the Jeffrey Dahmer and series on netflix yes and you know how the yes they were victimized and we and you you were like well i won't watch it i was like i was crazy well did i tell you i got told that i needed to watch it no and i and i did and it's the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life are you serious oh my god it's unbelievable it is very hard to watch the first episode i almost didn't make it but i powered through and then you sort of get it's such an interesting because I was, God, I'm so old. I was an adult when this was happening, but I was not paying, it was before social media. So it wasn't like in your face all the time. Like, can you imagine if it happened now? Um, And I was also, I was in school. I wasn't in front of a TV all the time. Like, you know, and you didn't have a phone in your hand all the time. So I remember some of the stories of it, but to, to understand now the beginning to end of how it happened. And the fact that so much of it had to do with the fact that he, was targeting mostly gay men who were of color. So nobody ever really gave a shit that all these people were just vanishing out of Milwaukee, which is not that big of a city. It's crazy. So it was about racism. It was about uh, homophobia. It was about all those things. So on a scale of one to 10, a darkness. It's and, so okay. dark. Okay, breaking about a scale of one to 10, where does it fall? Oh, I never watched it. What about mm, what about Ozark? Did you watch that? No, really? I mean, I've watched like <laughs> and I don't. I really don't want. I don't have. I only have like general cable, except sometimes I have Netflix. Don't get. I I can't explain that. I already know what that is. But the acting is. It, it's the most. It's like the best thing I've seen maybe in my life. I swear to God, it was so good, and I understand why it's like. For his father, for his family, you know, uh, mother, stepmother, brother, whatever, for everybody, for all the families, that it must be horrific. 
but it really wasn't just glorifying that. It was telling, it seemed like a documentary and I don't know how much of it was, of course they took a little poetic license, it's Hollywood or whatever, but I do think that they stayed as true as possible to who the victims were and what happened to them. And so it was just this like unbelievable tale of what happened and how he kept getting away with it because he was this like white guy. It's just very interesting how these like psychopaths just know how to um, manipulate people. That was a lot of what it was about too. Mm, yeah. I mean, people do that, dude. Like He was murdering people in his grandmother's basement while she was home. So it it's was just terrific. super interesting about how the socioeconomic, the racism, the homophobia, the, 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 the mental manipulations, all of those things. And the scariest thing about it was how, at least for me, when I was watching it, how you start identifying with different people, mm. with him, with, with his father, with the victims, with everybody like, oh, I could see how that happened. So anyway, I had to tell you that because I knew we promised each other that we were never going to watch it. it. Well, now right. you've, now you've piqued my interest and I told myself I'd never watch Breaking Bad because it was too dark. And then I got totally hooked on that. And right. I'm like, just finishing season five, along with Layla, who's decided to watch it with me. But good producing. And it's directed by a woman too, which I thought was- So after I did all over, it was like, who would watch that anyway? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had to, I'm admitting it because it was that good that I, that it's not like- <laughs> All right. Now, if I watch it, I'm going to have to like post a retraction. And I'm telling you, podcast. the first episode is the hardest one to power through. Okay. Okay. Well, this has really kicked off our holiday episode with some holiday cheer. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I will say nothing more about that. On that note, happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> We're winding down from 2022 and looking forward to a new year. And our holiday special this week, we're unwrapping some of our listeners' fondest career memories to keep your spirits bright and undo all of the darkness that we just talked about about the Topper Show. We should have done that in the, uh, oh, we did do it in the, the Halloween episode, but now I'm telling you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. Um, so our first segment, Things I Should Have Been Trained On. Today, we have some PR stocking stuffers for the listeners on our nice list, and we're each going to share our top three quick tips for PR success. Take writing very seriously and continue to improve your understanding of writing as well as your ability to write. And to add to that one, I yes. would say, remember that even though PR writing is journalistically accurate and needs to be in the style of journalistic writing, you still are performing a function of marketing. So make darn sure that all of your messaging has pizzazz to it, spin. We're not saying like gross spin that's untrue, but you're still framing reality for your readers in a way that's favorable towards the company that you're representing. And you need to make them sound as sexy as humanly possible and as exciting and as grandiose and as, you know, give them that flair and that push. I think a lot of times I see PR writers coming in really flat because I think they're trying very hard to sound objective. And while I understand that, you still have to, wherever possible, put a little bit of color, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of shine, a little bit of 
bells and whistles and grandiosity to make sure that it actually reads as something that anybody wants to read and not just boring as shit. Mm-hmm. Well, and not just like, you know, hum- humdrum PR, yeah, nonsense. So that brings me to my next tidbit is really be proactive in staying on top of where key reporters in your industry that you're, you know, covering, that you're doing work for, and maybe you're working in many industries. So you need to keep on top of the reporters in many industries, but that's, you know, the name of the game because they're bouncing around all the time. Follow them on Twitter so that you know where they're going, where they're from, have your access to muckrack or scission or whatever. And there's a lot of different newsletters like Axios has their um, communications newsletter where they list a lot of these moves. And there's other places that you can go to, to get this updated information. And then you will come across people like, oh, wow, they moved to this beat or to this publication. I should pitch them. So when they move, you can write them and pitch them and say, hey, Bob, I saw you just moved to, you know, the Wall Street Journal CFO journal. You know, I'm working with this important financial services company. You should talk to their CFO about blah, blah, blah. And or somebody who recently moved and they write their first article. Wow, I just saw your new, your first story on Axios. So interesting because it it talks to a lot of the themes that my client in, you know, I don't know, women in the workplace is focusing on. And it gives you that foot in the door. And a lot of times I've had success with getting interviews and even stories when you get in early on those people when, when they move. Yep. Well, my second tip is related because what you're saying is really pay attention to and listen to reporters. And my second tip is really pay attention to and listen to clients Mm -hmm. and, and for a couple of reasons. So I mean it in terms of actually paying attention to them personally and just giving that little extra ear to, okay, did they say their favorite flowers or magnolias? Okay. Make a note of it, right? File that away. And then on their birthday, send them something that reflects that you heard that, that, yeah, that you were listening, that they love magnolias or ask them next time about, you know, the name of the grandchild that they mentioned that they just had or whatever it is. Right. I think those little details go a long way to helping those clients feel like they're listened to and heard. And, and they, on another level are going to take, oh, if they're listening to me this much about personal stuff that doesn't matter, then they're really taking care of me as a, as a client and the brand and they're listening and they're good attention to detail, et cetera. So it goes a long way. And then sort of the second side of that point is that a lot of times when I found when clients are angry, it's actually because they feel misheard or misunderstood or like they're not being acknowledged or listened to. And so the fastest way to deescalate an upset client is to, and I hate to say it because it sounds like you're using therapy techniques back to them, which you kind of are, but you don't have to do it in a smarmy way. You don't have to be like, so what I hear you saying is like, you don't have to say (laughs) that, but I mean, you can say, I completely hear those concerns. I think they're totally valid. I'm really sorry that to hear that you're feeling that way. I do just want to reassure you that we're doing everything possible to address this concern in this way and this one in this way. And moving forward, this thing that you saw, you know, that should never happen again. We're going to have a different writer assigned to the team to do X, Y, Z or whatever it is. Right. And I think that just telling them that you understand what they're upset about, even if you don't agree and you think it's irrational goes a very, very, very long way 
and it takes that whole adversarial kind of, you know, tension out of the room. Yep. A hundred percent. That's a failing of PR people to not listen and retain. Yeah. So, and, and I don't think it actually takes that much effort. You just have to, in the moment when somebody tells you, go find the note and add to it. We've talked about this, I think before, I don't know on the show, Mm. but between us teams, I mean, everybody, I was going to say junior people, but everybody should do this. But I feel that junior people have to be told this, provide as much detail as possible in every communication with your internal team and with your client. And I see it a lot like, hey, yeah, that, you know, that interview with that reporter at that financial publication. Okay, what interview, with what publication, with what client, with what reporter, you know, on what day? Like, oh yeah, we're going to do that on December 3rd. Okay, well, what day is December 3rd? Like, don't make people have to go back and find the details. You need to provide the details. And if you do it all the time, then you remember, everybody else knows, there's no excuses, you know, that I didn't know, Mm -hmm. I didn't understand. And people don't have to spend time trying to search for the answer or write you back to say, um, what are you talking about? And then you have to say, oh, sorry, I meant this. You know, it's, it wastes a lot of time. So by providing all of the details, whenever you're communicating with your team or with your client up front, mm-hmm. it saves everybody time. It keeps everybody on the same page. It lessens the amount of emails. It lessens the amount of back and forth. It lessens the amount of time. And it, it allows people to not have to go and say, oh, wait, what day is December 5th? What report, what rate, what, what publication did they talk to, you know, a week and a half ago, put it in there. And it seems like you're spending more time, but in the long run, you will be spending less time, less time, at least collectively. And it's just better client relations. It's better inter team relations. And I just think that it helps, especially when you have, I think, younger people who don't necessarily understand it keep continually reminds them. And then when you have older people like me who can't remember things as well, you know, it just, yeah. it just keeps everything moving along. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of similar to my third tip, yes. which is, which is interesting. And in that my third tip is be as resourceful as you would be in a freaking escape room because Usually what I see happen is people are asking for things that they either have access to, can Google as quickly as they can ask a colleague and can figure out on their own before asking the client for additional information, which then inspires everyone around you to feel like you're doing the heavy lifting whenever humanly possible and that you're, you've got your shit together. So I think that's true regardless of what you're doing. I sort of learned this technique by doing technical writing, yeah. which is something I've talked about in the past, but basically doing technical writing is like putting together a giant puzzle. You don't understand any of what you're reading about until you start putting it into plainer and plainer English. And then, okay, let me pull that thread. What does this piece of it mean? Okay, then let me go figure out. Okay, so now that I understand calibration and welding or whatever it is, you know, now let me, okay, Google that, do some reading. Okay. Now I understand that. Now I understand this paragraph. Cool. Next one. And then there's like another piece that you don't understand. It's it's like, it's interesting. I had this happen to me today. I'll admit it. There was something that was above my understanding of a pretty technical nature. And 
the client kept saying, well, you know, write it in a way that you need it. And I kept saying, okay, this is what we need. And it's because I really didn't understand it. And the client sent me a link to like, you know, a website. I was like, yeah, I, I, I know. I can Google too. I need you to tell me how this works for your company and why you made this, you know, announcement or whatever and what that, and they would not give me any information. And I think it's because they didn't know either. That's usually why. Did you try the fake reporter trick? Well, I don't know. Maybe I did. What, what, what is the fake reporter the, trick? I so tried a few different ways. I can't believe I'm admitting this, but I am admitting it. So sometimes clients oh. like that, that won't give you any information. You discover that the only time they give real information that makes any sense is in an interview where their feet are forced to the fire and now it matters. And so therefore, oh, good. Now they're finally telling a reporter everything that I've needed to know for the last three months. And so sometimes you can land them an introductory interview and you can get the information that you need to continue to do your pitching. But other times you have so little that you know they won't do it until they get an interview. In which case, sometimes that you have... You have a fake interview right. with somebody that's a journalist that you're a friend with, or maybe it's a real interview or it's like a favor well, you, interview well, or it's a, freel- like, it's a freelancer. Right. Or I thought you were going to say, Hey, I have a reporter who asked this question. I've also done that, but it's better to, to actually, do, if they yeah. really won't tell you stuff, right. it's better to get them no, on the you're, phone. You're hundred percent right. Because that, to give an answer. that was my problem. It is actually, it was almost an interview situation. And I was like, this is what a reporter needs. And the client kept saying, well, here's here's the link to something I Googled. Right. So then you need to have somebody ask them, because this is yeah. the, the problem with doing it yourself is that then they can feel once again, like you're adversarial rather than on their team, an extension yep. of their in-house. Or like, why don't you, you why don't you know the answer to this kind of thing? Like, and they why, think we hired you to know everything, right? Exactly. They either think you're a moron or they think that you're being difficult. Yeah. But if a reporter does it, that's just a reporter asking hard questions, which yeah. is their job. Somehow it's not your job to do that on behalf of reporters, but in their mind, which of course it is. But Right. But then what happens when like no story comes out because, you know, I had April White. Well, you just have to say it's a background interview. They just right. want some information and make sure that it's not that a story is promised. I don't know if I could do that because... I'm so bad at that kind of, but I, but I understand what you're saying. Well, if you have an actual freelancer friend or a right. journalist friend, yeah, then you can, you know, kind yeah. of call in a favor and just be like, Hey, I don't expect you to write a story, but can you please yeah, interview this person for 15 minutes? Yeah. And just get these answers out of them and I'll like send you flowers or take you to d- dinner or whatever, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That's I don't know about- I'll deploy it, but I think that you're right that in certain cases, it's the only way you're going to get what you need. It's the only way. I've never, I mean, I've tried, I've tried everything. I would never have resorted to that if I hadn't tried everything else, but. Right. Well, that is that. It's a wrap. Let's put a Christmas bow on it. (laughs) Like a wrapping gift. Yeah. So cute. Okay. Should we move on to news? Okay. Laura found this article. Agencies decry unfair payment terms and Keurig Dr. Pepper PR retainer. And Laura, tell us what this is about. This is freaking insane. So the bottom line is they're looking for a PR agency who is willing to take payment on a 360-day pay schedule, meaning 
you do all the work the entire year and you don't get paid until the year is over. Yeah. What I don't understand is they said that this is because all of their vendors are on that payment schedule. That's if I remember correctly from yes. reading it. A 360 and day payment what, terms. What company can demand that? I don't even know. Dr. Who, Pepper. Could Google even demand that? Facebook? Like I, I, right, right. Amazon? Elon Musk. I know. So the weirdest thing I've ever heard of as a business people, practice, let alone in an RFP. So this group called Voxcom, which has some members, including the PR council, are going to be flagging this RFP. It came out in an RFP after they tried to get Dr. Pepper to change its payment schedule. And I guess they said no. So it said so that yeah, so they issued like a red alert urging yeah, PR for red to, flagging, not yeah, so not not to forego the, the RFP process. Right, because this is a bad precedent. Yeah. If anybody does it, all of a sudden all these companies are going to expect that basically PR firms work for free for a right. year. What PR firms could afford this anyway? But then I, the question is like, I wonder if that made the one, you know, cause then are you down to one contender that gets it because everyone else pulled out except like the one, you know, holdout that won't be part of the, of the ban against the RFP and then they win this huge account. But so how are you paying your staff? How are you allocating your resources? How are you, you know, yeah. monitoring your workflow? How are you motivating anybody? Yeah. When nobody's getting paid. And what if you lose during going into a probable recession, you know, three of your key clients and you actually have to go out of business, then everybody's screwed. It is the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's so crazy. So I don't know. Is this, you know, what's to come? I guess we have to see, you know, how this shakes out. I mean, it can't be what's to come because nobody can afford to do it. But good for them for trying. I mean, that's ballsy to even. I mean, you know, I'm sure a ton of that, you know, agencies would, you know, want to do it. But under those circumstances, I can't, I cannot even imagine. Only the biggest agencies could even afford to do that. But can they even? Probably not. And I don't know what the retainer is. But what if like we're talking about, you know, an $80,000 a month retainer? Um, P.S. I didn't understand that Keurig like merged with Dr. Pepper yeah, at some point. That's that like either. a very weird corporate name. You think they could have. Is that the coffee and the soda? Is that right? Well, they probably weren't paying a PR firm to make that announcement. That's why we never heard. That. <laughs> yeah, this is insane. I don't know what to say about it, this. It says in the story that agency leaders are reporting that big pharma Healthcare retailers, foreign tourism boards recently started circulating RFPs requiring agencies to wait up to six months for full payment. So apparently it's already started happening in other industries. I don't understand. And I wonder what, why, like, what would their rationale be if you said, well, why do we have to wait six months? I mean, is this like an economy thing where they just don't have the money right now and they're hoping that they will? But the problem is... Any agency owner knows that even if you have a contract in place, if a client doesn't pay you for six months and then you go after them and then you say, sorry, we don't have the money or whatever, then suing them is such a process. Depending on the size of the retainer, usually it's going to be way too big for a small claims court, which then means you have to pay for filing plus attorney fees, 
that also means that even if you collect the summary judgment in your favor, that collecting the money isn't necessarily a slam dunk because what if they don't have it it's like having that you gotta get a sheriff to go get it or put a thing on their account right it's like it's a whole nightmare that right and small claims you can only get like five or ten grand depending on what state you're in and if they owe you eight hundred thousand like who cares about small claims right it doesn't it's that's a moot point and so then at that point you're suing for a ton of money that even if you have the piece of paper saying we win doesn't mean you're ever going to see a yeah, dime yeah. of it. So, I mean, that that's why for a small agency or a mid-sized agency like us, like it, it's just not doable because- A lot of the big agencies- you, and, and if you've got contractors in addition to staff- Right, you literally you have to Literally pay them. paid them for the work that they did right. that you're never going to recover, right. but you still had to pay them. So not, it, you're behind. I also wonder some of the big agents, most of the big agencies big are gamble. owned- by publicly traded entities, you know, WPP and all of that. Can a publicly traded company even take that on? That is that risk? Right. Is Would that even be allowed in the rules of how you have to operate your business if you're publicly traded? I don't know. But I mean, I'm just asking that question because I can't imagine that shareholders would be like, cool, yeah, sure. You know, spend all this money and don't get paid for it. We love that. Okay. There's a new article from seven hours ago. Keurig Dr. Pepper defends agency payment terms decried as corporate bullying. They're defending the search process for a new public relations agency following industry pushback, according to PR Week. The marketer's request for proposal has become a flashpoint of controversy due to the 360-degree payment terms, meaning the winning firm could not get its full payment for nearly a year. So you have to take a loan to do the business? Insane. Foxcom, a group representing leading agency trade bodies, called the ask an egregious display of corporate bullying. But Curie Dr. Pepper is standing its ground, resurfacing old questions around how much power agencies wield when dealing with demanding clients. They aren't appearing to budge, Vicky Drawn, Vice President of Corporate Communications for Curie Dr. Pepper, told PR Week in a statement. We have a history of mutually beneficial partnerships with a multitude of agencies from large multinational ones to small niche-focused shops, and we will continue to meet the needs of Keurig Dr. Pepper and our agencies. I would not want to be in her shoes, man. Oh my gosh, like the enemy of every corporate communications appear person. Uh This is bonkers. Who is this woman that would say that as a corporate communications person not be worried about like never having another job in her life? Vicky Drawn. Wait, quote, say, say what she said again. We have a history of mutually beneficial partnerships with a multitude of agencies from large multinational ones to small niche focused shops. And we will continue to meet the needs of Keurig, Dr. Pepper, and our agencies. Meet the needs. It's weird. I wouldn't, I mean, I would not like to be her having to support this insane oh my god she's she's vp this is even funnier on linkedin it says she's vp of corporate communications and philanthropy (laughs) dr pepper oh my god well right was this her her idea or is it the cfo's i mean it can't possibly be but then she's the one who has to deliver the message right i mean i got it could have been hers i hope to god it's not hers I feel sick just talking about this. Should we move on to, you had another news story that you wanted to bring up quickly. Yeah, I, I quickly mentioned that semaphore, that new, it's sort of Substackian. Maybe it's a Substackian. Substackian. It, it's like, it's a daily 
by Bill Spindle. Global News. Yes, like Axios or or Morning Brew, like the okay. morning light or the New York Times, like morning news newsletter. And this okay. one, Semaphore, is new. And I think we talked about it a little bit a couple of episodes before this one that it's acquired some very high level writers from who have defected from the New York Times and others come together and it's very global in nature and it it's to me I feel like it's a little bit of a mixed bag and it, I don't really see its clear mission but anyway that's not the story the story is that one of their reporters who was writing about climate change and sustainability ESG type issues quit and it's only this thing has only been around for a couple or a few months at the max he already mm. quit because Chevron was sponsoring his column or his part of of this newsletter that reported on sustainability issues. So like, how are you being a journalist talking frankly about the issues of the environment when Chevron's like, here's, I don't know, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, you better be nice to us, right? Because people won't pay. How else are these publications going to stay in business? And it's a problem. And I mean, this is not a new problem, but this is a very specific pointed, he writes about sustainability, Chevron is sponsoring it, he needs to, you know, mind his P's and Q's, he quit. There's not usually as much of a direct, obvious hit as that. Yeah. And it's not going to get better because people aren't paying. I'm not going to pay to read, you know, I read 15 things a day, I'm not paying to read them. It's ex- well, and it's like with the streaming services too that you're already paying for, right? At certain points, like, how much can we pay for here? Yeah, well, I have basic cable, basically, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes Netflix, mysteriously. Right. I do pay for HBO, <laughs> I don't even have Amazon Prime. Interesting, and I get HBO Max through my ATT wireless. But I don't pay for anything. I mean, that shouldn't surprise me. No, it shouldn't. But you know how many bills I have to pay? Oh my God. It's like, I feel like Sonny Corleone just getting like shot by machine guns, like every which way when I'm going through the toll booth. Like the things that go automatically, the things I have to pay manually, that other thing I forgot about, the new bill, the rate, and I'm like, oh God. (laughs) Don't get old, kids. It's a lot. Adulting is hard. Okay, I think we got off track. Yes, we have to. Oh, holiday stories. To some to some sweet candy cane flavored stories. Are you ready to unwrap a few sweet stories from our listeners, yes, Laura? The sh- sugar plums dance in everybody's head. <laughs> so we're doing something different for our holiday episode. We are replacing our usual tales of PR horror with some anonymous stories about your favorite career moments. Aww. Should we unwrap our four submissions? Okay, holiday story number one. We Hi. <laughs> Hi folks. Here is my submission for the holiday non-horror stories podcast. I'll keep it short and sweet. I am in a PR agency leadership position and I manage quite a few team members across different departments. My favorite career moment was recently when my agency team surprised me on my two-year work anniversary with a touching custom video featuring kind words from each of my team members. It was so wonderful to hear from the team members I care so much for 
And it was the first time a work anniversary has ever made me cry in a good way. <laughs> oh, double signed by double X. Oh, that's so sweet. All right. That's a good one. That is a good one. Okay. Holiday story number two. Hi, April and Laura. Here's a good one for your holiday episode because it's hands down the best gift a client ever gave me. I worked for an agency that dealt with huge consumer brands, and I was on this one very prestigious household name in cosmetics. Your mom and your grandma have probably both used them, and I bet you have too. We've all heard of performance bonuses, right? Well, this was even better in my opinion. So this was a big account and we really slaved away to please them late hours, early mornings, et cetera, et cetera. One year after we secured this massive round of coverage for this client over one quarter, the client surprised our entire team with a wellness massage and spa day. It was unreal. Felt like a movie and was definitely one of my favorite client moments. Cheers, luxury lady. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. So sometimes clients can be great. <laughs> I'm like so Ebenezer Scrooge. I know you're like hating this. It's like, uh, you're like, okay. I need to go back to watching Dahmer. Shut up. <laughs> it's okay. way too shiny for I, me. I did work for people in-house and I've gotten like gifted massages and spas and stuff like that yeah. many years ago. It's not really my thing. But I did it and it was nice. I like the money better. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> here's holiday story number three. Okay. Hey, ladies, here's a sweet story for you. I once had a big idea for a client, like a really big idea, bigger than I knew how to execute, to be perfectly honest. I had only done B2B PR at the time. But the idea I had for this multi-dimensional campaign was different. It was big and creative and involved a contest element that culminated with an event at the Rainbow Room in New York City. There, all of the contestant finalists would learn where they placed gold, silver, bronze. I found an external vendor to help with the contest execution. They were responsible for helping find contestants and getting them to enter the contest, etc. Thank God. But I realized somewhere in the middle of it all that there was no way I knew how to execute the event at the Rainbow Room. I didn't even know what a run of show was at the time. I was working tirelessly on this campaign since it was my baby, but I was officially in over my head. I had to cry uncle. So I raised my hand to my boss at the time and he immediately got someone from the consumer team to help out. Phew. Her name was Lauren, and I had never even seen her in the building since she works on the floor below us. But Lauren turned out to be an absolute rock star and jumped in with both feet to deliver on this big idea as if it was her own. The event went off without a hitch, and the campaign generated placements in Good Morning America, People Magazine, and other top-tier media outlets, exclamation point times 10. But I would never have survived this without my boss getting me help or Lauren jumping in so eagerly. And we are still friends to this day because of it. Every once in a while, bosses and coworkers can surprise you by being even more awesome than you expect. Well, that's a good one. You didn't hate it? No, I like it because 
the fact that people jumped in and helped and actually knew what they were doing and, you know, did it. Yeah. And the great success that was, that's because to me, that's very relieving because I put myself in the, the position of the person who was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I was put on something where you're like similar really? that was consumer oriented when I was too young and too whatever. And had they not sent the consumer person with me, it would have been a, the worst fail. Like the, the earth would have flown off the, its access. And I realized yeah. it at the time too, similarly. I love when people actually rise to the occasion and jump in and help you, especially if you're a person that doesn't ask for help usually. Right. And then it's like people surprise you. Oh, they will help if I ask. <laughs> like yeah. That's uh, something I relate to for sure. So it's cool when it's like, oh my God, I didn't have to do this all by myself. People actually- it's, it's also interesting when you are really passionate about a really you know cool new creative idea, people will jump on board and pull rabbits out of hats that you can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling positive- experience yeah because people are excited to be part of it yeah I love that very cool all right holiday story number four hi April and Laura first of all I just want to say I really love your show oh thank you for making shop talk dare I say fun okay so here's my story I was working under this very talented media relations director as an AE and this agency had a pretty serious hierarchy so I was pretty much only allowed to touch media lists and agendas mostly admin stuff. I was really intimidated by my coworkers. They were cutthroat and talented, but there was not a lot of mentorship at this place. It was kind of like, good luck, keep up or get out. Anyway, this director called me one morning and said, Hey, account manager is out sick for a couple of days. And the client is not already not happy. So we can't afford to slow down on this account, have a new pitch angle in my inbox by noon. So we can get moving on this week's outreach. I was so terrified, especially be getting feedback right from the director instead of my usual manager. She was no nonsense and very curt about feedback. I spent probably too long researching trends and stats and created a pitch for some really niche trade press. It was techie stuff. And so I was worried about using the wrong language or misrepresenting the product. And after a couple of hours, I hit send. At about 15 minutes past noon, my director called me again. She said my pitch was excellent, solid, succinct, and well-researched. She even praised me for the creative angle, and she told me that she'd make sure my other managers knew it was time for me to start pitching. She made some small changes, and I even ended up getting some coverage with the pitch. After that, she really took me under her wing as a mentor, and I eventually made AM, big thanks to her. In such a competitive agency, it was nice to feel seen by someone higher up who usually didn't even bother with me. It was like finding a narwhal, a narwhal, a narwhal, narwhal. It's like, it was like finding a narwhal in a sea of sharks. Happy holidays. That's a good one too. That is great. I love it. Oh, these are good. Yeah, no, they're all good. Even though I was, I made fun of the one I, it's good. They're all good. It's nice to hear like there's nice things that happen to people in the industry. To your point, it doesn't happen often. So it's like, you know, we could never fill a show with those every episode, but (laughs) 
but it's nice to do for nice to do for special occasions. So I think that we're at the close. Thank you so much for joining the PR Wind Down Holiday Special. Happy holidays and cheers to the new year ahead. You sound super convincing. Until next time, kick back, pour yourself some eggnog, enjoy some time off with your friends and family. We can't wait to wind down with you again next time. Do you want to do something holiday cheerful, Laura, just to put a another holiday bow in it? Like what? I don't know. What's the, what's the most what's the most holiday cheer you can muster up in yourself? <laughs> okay, for those who didn't see what just happened, she just <laughs> crashed her head into her desk. <laughs>